Welcome to the Embracing You podcast with your host, Eric Pothen. We are all on our own unique journey to discovering ourselves. Each episode, I will help you navigate the journey within to reconnect with and discover the innate love you have for yourself. This podcast will cover topics from self-love to eating disorders and body image to mental health and to overall well-being. My goal is to help you honor and embrace yourself so you may live your most authentic life. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Embracing You podcast. I cannot believe that it is already April. Um, I just feel like the, the month of March really just flew by. I also hope that the month of March was full of happiness and good health. And here we are today for another episode of the Embracing You podcast. Today's episode is all about finding freedom from food and fitness. And with us today is a very special guest, Allison Masso. And she is a certified intuitive eating counselor, a non-diet personal trainer, and a corporate wellness speaker. This was a beautiful conversation that I was able to have with Allison, and I really appreciate the work that she does with her clients of helping them become more intuitive eaters and helping them find freedom from food and fitness. So... You are in for a real treat with today's episode. So without further ado, let's dive in. All righty. Well, hello, Allison. How are you doing today? I am doing good. We are here in Minneapolis, and it seems there is a snowstorm on the horizon. So besides that little tidbit, I'm doing great. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's funny. The last episode I sat down to record, I was talking about how excited I was that we were avoiding the snow. Um, and so now here we are in Minnesota anticipating another snowstorm with over, I think, 12 inches plus we're forecasted for. Um, so I guess that's just part of, uh, part of being a Minnesotan, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I know it's cliche to talk about the weather, but when you're a Minnesotan, you cannot not help it. Like it needs to be discussed how ridiculous it can be. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being willing to be on the Embracing You podcast today. Um, so to start things off, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about yourself, maybe what you do and what led you to do the work that you do today. Yeah, absolutely. So I work as a certified intuitive eating counselor or nutrition counselor, if you will, a non-diet personal trainer and a corporate wellness speaker. I own my own business called Maso Nutrition and Fitness, Maso being my last name. And it really was through my personal experiences of going through an eating disorder, then floating along into disordered eating that enlightened me to want to take the path of wellness as a wellness coach with a non-restrictive approach. And then a little bit more about my personal background is I've worked at commercial gyms, commercial wellness centers, and I've also worked at an eating disorder clinic. And so 
I like to say that my business is a cross between the two where I am not necessarily working at an eating disorder clinic. I'm not working at a commercial gym, but I'm helping the wellness community prevent eating disorders as well as taking a more holistic approach towards wellness that focuses on mental health, um, such as our relationship with food. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So diet culture always hits us full force at the beginning of the new year, trying to convince us to start this diet or lose lose this amount of weight or start this exercise plan. Um, so would you be willing to talk about what diet culture actually is and why it's harmful to us? Yeah, absolutely. So diet culture is, yes, it's very much like that unwelcomed neighbor who knocks on your door and it's it they'll always be there and it's hard to um sometimes feel like you can fully full force step away from it so first before we get into that though about how you know step away from it and break up with it um diet culture really is a it's a system of values that oppresses folks who don't fit into their ideals um, with the ideals being the thin ideal, westernized beauty standards, um, usually white cis binary is part of diet culture's ideals. And so marginalized folks get hit the hardest with diet culture. Diet culture also promotes that no matter the um, repercussions, no matter the side effects, we should always be aiming to be in a smaller body. There is no disclaimers when it comes to diet culture. So in a very brief definition, that is what diet culture is. And in terms of um, being able to, I'm not sure if you asked this question yet or not, but in terms of being able to break up with it, or that's, you know, that's what we call it in intuitive eating is rejecting the diet mentality, breaking up with diet culture. You first just need to become more aware of it. Diet culture is not only just these big diet companies that we hear about in everyday life, such as Weight Watchers and Metafast, and I think there's one in Minnesota here called um, Livia, I want to say, but it, it's also in the way that, you know, perhaps growing up, your mom was raised to think about herself and talk about herself. It's in the way that we um, don't see more inclusive sizes and popular brands. It's in the way that it shows up in fitness culture where so many gyms are all about weight loss versus exercising to enhance your mental health. So diet culture is a very, very prominent uh, value system that shows up in our society and and there is hope, folks. <laughs> there is hope. There is more recognition of it and calling it out, which really excites me. Wonderful. Yeah, I think diet culture, you always hear about it, but I think, like you said, the awareness component is so important because we could look at a billboard and it could be even advertising protein shake or, you know, anything like that. And I think if we don't become aware of the messaging and take the time to pause and notice what that is, I think we can just continue to fall into the firm grasp or grip that diet culture can have on us as individuals. Yeah, absolutely. And diet culture is getting sneakier too. 
because what diet culture does, and once again, we're talking about system and values, we're not necessarily calling out specific individuals, but what diet culture does is it, it learns about the trends. And so when the body positive movement became a more prominent uh, movement through social media, diet culture caught on to that. And it was like, oh, so people don't want to just hate themselves. Okay. So I guess maybe we'll take this diet and we'll talk about how you should love yourself. But in reality, we don't want you to love yourself fully because we still want you to take our diet supplements or we still want you to be on this weight loss program. And for folks that don't know that are listening, the body positive movement was meant for marginalized folks in particular, marginalized um, black folks. And so it was never meant to be this this trendy thing that you see with a lot of diet brands now that co-opted it. Yeah. Um, I want to rewind a little bit. And I know you had mentioned the first step to kind of learning how to break free from diet culture or reduce some of the noise is the awareness component. So what can we do after we have that awareness of the messaging that diet culture could potentially be giving us. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways to approach lessening your, your own um, following of diet culture. And speaking of following, one of the first things I will have my nutrition and wellness clients do is I will have them do what I call exposure therapy, where I have them start following folks who either look like them or, or don't look like them, especially fat influencers who live in historically marginalized bodies and speak on the topic of body image healing and um, body image respect and essentially get their mind and body to recognize that, hey, living a good life, caring about how to take care of yourself doesn't necessarily mean that you're thin or that you need to be thin. So exposure therapy is super helpful, um, not just with the social media, as I just discussed, but also just being aware of what you're subscribing to, uh, whether that's, you know, something you watch on TV or uh, the magazines or books that you read. And then another way to help deconstruct diet culture and, and break free from it is also being mindful of the way that you look at food. So this is what I specialize in is I help folks with their relationship with food and have a more peaceful relationship with food. And oftentimes if we have a non-peaceful relationship with food, we most likely are heavily influenced with diet culture. So learning to look at food in a more neutral manner can also help you lessen your grip uh, on the influence diet culture has with you. Absolutely. So you had just mentioned here that, you know, you work with your clients on intuitive eating and you kind of coach them through that. What does that look like as you work with your clients through the lens of intuitive eating? Yes. So first thing we do is we go through their their history and essentially we together deconstruct. That's one of my favorite words, as you'll learn here soon, is where does their story come from? Because diet culture is has a societal influence. No matter if you are the best intuitive eater in the world, you're still going to have that societal influence of diet culture. 
And so then beyond the societal influence, we look at their personal influence. For a lot of clients I work with, their well-meaning caregivers had them go on diets when they were young. So I've had clients that have gone on Weight Watchers when they were eight years old, or they were told by a high school track coach that they couldn't eat carbs if they wanted to qualify for this race. And so we we unpack that that piece of history that they might not have been able to grieve over just yet. And so unpacking, deconstructing, and then we talk about what they can look forward to in terms of intuitive eating. And one of the biggest things you can look forward to with your intuitive eating journey is you start to become more introspective and aware of your body's own signals. So I take my clients through the learning of getting rewired to listen to their hunger, fullness, and satisfaction cues. And then if it is, um, if it is relative to them, we also talk about how they can have a more peaceful relationship with exercise. We also talk a lot about boundary setting and perfectionism as oftentimes folks that experience disordered eating or have had a heavy history in diet culture oftentimes have the perfectionism and people-pleasing and boundary non-boundary setting tendencies. So we do a lot in our practice. <laughs> a lot of it is deconstructing grieving past past experiences while also making sure that they have a game plan moving forward to help them reconnect with their body. Absolutely. And I've been diving pretty deep into my own journey with intuitive eating over the last year or so. Um, and I know a big thing that has come up for me on my own journey is Sometimes, you know, diet culture sneaking back in where I feel like my body is craving carbs or pizza or pasta, and then I feel some shame or guilt come up because I'm craving foods like that. So if, if let's say you're working with a client of yours and they are experiencing something similar, what, how would you approach that from the work that you do as a coach? Yeah, absolutely. So First, I would ask them, who taught you to feel shame around carbs? What is the story around pasta? What is the story around the bread basket when you go out to dinner? And, and who taught you to feel shameful about that? And does that shamefulness, has that shamefulness helped you? Has it made a positive impact on your life? No. Okay. So then, <laughs> then we're getting the mind, the brain to then say, okay, well, maybe we should approach this in a new way. Um, so a couple of things I help clients do to essentially feel freedom with food or to experience food freedom is we talk about ways to incorporate more of their, quote, shameful foods or guilt foods into their daily life so that they can start trusting themselves around it. So this is kind of going a little bit into a side um, bar conversation, but oftentimes when folks feel shame around food, they're, they have a higher tendency to binge on it or overeat it in a chaotic manner. And what is happening is that if you feel guilt around pasta, and you start to eat the pasta, you know, it's it's pasta night with your roommates or your family or just yourself, you'll start to eat in a more chaotic manner because what you're trying to do is you're trying to push past the feelings of shame and guilt by eating it faster. Now, 
once again, is that shame helping you have a healthy relationship with food? Is that shame helping you eat more comfortably? No. Okay. So then let's look at some other ways we can feel more calm around this pasta. So I'll have clients do what I call a food habituation experiment. I'll have them do multiple rounds of it where essentially they expose themselves to, we're just going to keep using pasta, pasta more regularly throughout their week and not just on a Saturday night when diet culture tells you, oh, that could be your cheat night or cheat day, which tends to drive binging behavior. So that helps. What food habituation essentially is, is it's lowering this emotionally exciting heightened experience that we have with forbidden foods and telling our body, telling our nervous system that, hey, pasta is always allowed and it's not meant to be shameful. Pasta is nothing you should feel guilty about. And so therefore you can eat it being more in tune with your hunger cues in a more calm manner. Now, in terms of the shame and guilt um, beyond food habituation, we also talk about the science, nutritional science. Carbohydrates, for example, using pasta again, pasta is a carbohydrate. And so your body's main fuel source is carbohydrates. Our brain's preferred and only fuel source is carbohydrates. And so therefore it is necessary to have these carbohydrates and your body is not going to punish you for having pasta. Now, if you're solely eating pasta and you're eating it in a chaotic manner, once again, going back to that binging behavior, then yeah, maybe we would want to take a step back and be curious about what's going on. But otherwise, these, these um, ab- absurd rules that diet culture teaches us, our bodies don't care about these arbitrary rules. So we dive deeper into the science behind nutritional science as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's what I've learned a lot too on my own journey is like being able to identify, you know, these old beliefs or ways that I've thought about food and needing to release those beliefs and adopt new beliefs. And it can be so scary for me personally, as I'm, you know, still on my own journey to adopt new beliefs that will allow me to feel a little bit more freedom around food. Um, and so I'm really glad that you kind of brought that to the surface as well with regards to, you know, we have to be able to get rid of these thoughts that are, aren't helping us and, and that aren't serving us. And so um, thank you once again for bringing that to our attention here. I want to dive into, you had mentioned the term food freedom a little bit. Um, and in some of the reading that I've been doing and, and posts and from people that I follow on um, social media, One thing that I've really appreciated is that they say that food freedom isn't just eating a lot of those forbidden foods. It's not just being able to eat pizza and donuts and a lot of these foods that we've labeled as bad foods or, um, you know, those cheat meals and whatnot. So would you be willing to describe that a little bit more, the whole concept of what food freedom actually is? Yeah, absolutely. So the way I define food freedom is that you don't feel controlled by food and allowing yourself to have Oreos and pizza and donuts, like you were saying, which I call play food in my practice, where it's it has a purpose. It's playful. It's, it's good for our soul. It also can foster connection and memories and experiences. Maybe it's not the most nutrient dense, but it still has a place. Um, so going back to that, Essentially, if somebody is solely 
having those foods and they're having them in a way that feels chaotic. Essentially, they are they are mirroring a binging behavior that some people might look at that and be like, oh, that's intuitive eating. But what that really is, is that could be them still being controlled by food. And so on the other hand, it also, food freedom also wouldn't look like solely eating salads because you feel they are the safest option. Food freedom really comes down to having choices and knowing that all of these foods, unless you are allergic or have a, a really bad intolerance to something um, or something's like expired, like super expired, uh, that all foods are allowed and that you have a choice. And because you have a choice, you therefore don't feel controlled by food. You don't feel like food is taking over your social life or that when you go out to dinner, you don't feel anxious and guilt afterwards because you were able to eat the food, enjoy it. Well, hopefully enjoy it. And sometimes like there are dull food experiences that happen, which is a whole other topic when it comes to like disordered eating recovery Um, and then move on. So that's essentially food freedom in a nutshell. And Um, you know, yes, it is really fun and sexy to talk about the donuts and everything, but food freedom also means, you know, being able to have something nutrient dense like a salad or like quinoa without feeling like diet culture owns it. You literally stole the words right out of my mouth. And it was honestly what I was just about to say. But I think for me, seeing food freedom approached from a more holistic approach as opposed to just only allowing yourself a lot of those forbidden foods or in in the words that you just use in your practice play foods um but it just it makes me think about my relationship with food in a different way and and it makes me think about food freedom in such a i don't like to use the word healthier but a healthier way and a more holistic way maybe is the word that i'm looking for um but yeah so i thank you so much for sharing that with us here. I know that with intuitive eating, one of the biggest things that um, as I was reading through the book at the very beginning, it just talks about why diets don't work. They just scientifically are not sustainable um, and whatnot. So I was just curious if you'd be able to speak to that point a little bit as to why diets aren't sustainable in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So a lot of times folks will get defensive with this one, people that necessarily aren't in the non-diet community, and they'll be like, well, weight loss happens. And and it's true. In intuitive eating, we acknowledge that weight loss naturally happens to some folks. Same with weight maintenance and as well as weight gain. And it's that last part right there, weight gain, that usually gets the most shame and and stigma in our society due to diet culture teaching you that that shouldn't be an option for your body, that gaining weight, you know, you should stay the same or you should get smaller. So when we look at the research of people that have attempted to gain or to, sorry, lose weight past their body's natural set point in the the opposite direction, we see a lot of times that folks end up experiencing this phenomenon called yo-yo dieting, where essentially their body is freaking out thinking, oh my goodness, why why is Susan, we're just going to say Susan, sorry, any Susans out there, (laughs) why is Susan eating less, you know, why, you know, this is, it it freaks out the body. And so what the ends up happening is Susan's metabolism can lower 
because it's trying to preserve energy. It's trying to not essentially burn off energy because it thinks that Susan is going into a famine state. And so what usually ends up happening to folks that go on these unrealistic diets is life happens and they can no longer eat out of containers. They can no longer keep up with the meal plan service because of finances. Um, maybe they go through a life change of, of partnership change or job change, whatever it might be, and they end up going back to what they knew before. But because they had been dieting, they might end up going back to binging behavior or overeating in a chaotic manner. And so since their metabolism has slowed itself down, weight gain usually happens during this period. And sometimes that weight gain can be more than what you initially weighed. And this is called set point theory, where the body thinks, oh my goodness, if Susan is going to pull that again, if Susan is going to diet again, we better gain back our set point weight and then some. It's like an extra cushion space, if you will, like a little insurance policy for Susan's next diet. So this phenomenon of yo-yo dieting has actually been more scientifically shown in research than actual weight loss when people attempt diets for the long term. We also have very few selective studies that have shown successful weight loss past a two to five year phase. And there has been no study so far that I am aware of, at least in, in today's date, that shows that you can make fat people thinner for the long term. Yeah. Yeah. It's all pretty, it's all pretty groundbreaking. And um, there's, there's so many good resources that I could email you after this. Cause of course I'm, you know, on the spot here and I'm trying to think of <laughs> the books and articles and all that stuff, but I'm happy to email that your way. If your listeners want to check out links to, to the, the data on this and to, to look at the authors who so diligently write on this topic and the science behind it. Um, oh, of course, one of the best resources that is accessible is a podcast called Maintenance Phase, which goes over a lot of the science behind why diets aren't sustainable for the majority of people. Mm, yeah, I would love that. And um, I'll be sure to include that in the show notes for listeners as well, if they're wanting to dive a little deeper into the research and the data that you had just talked about here. At the beginning of our time together, you had also mentioned that um, you are a personal trainer. Um, and so I'm curious to know what coaching looks like in a space that I would assume through your lens and approach doesn't give too much attention to body composition or numbers on the scale. Yeah, absolutely. So I call myself a non-diet trainer. And what that does is that helps folks who want to work with me understand that I'm not going to talk about weight loss. I'm not going to have you go on a scale. There's going to be no before and after photos. There's going to be no body composition measurements. And what that does is that allows folks who have perhaps not felt welcomed into fitness spaces feel welcome and feel safe with somebody who is going to focus on the purpose of why they're there, which in my case is to progress on their strength training or mobility or perhaps both. <laughs> and so what I do with my clients is what I do with anyone who's looking to gain strength. We just don't talk about the weight loss side of things, which if you're going to somebody with the intention of gaining strength and they're, they're having you hop on the scale every week, 
you can call them out and ask them why. Why is that important? That doesn't need to be part of the conversation when working with a personal trainer or or small group training program if there is no intention on wanting to focus on weight loss. Um, so speaking of intention too, I, I should point this out as well. If I do work with somebody who still has weight loss in the back of their mind when it comes to exercise and fitness, we can acknowledge that while also not letting that be the driving behavior. So once again, I still won't focus on it. I won't talk about it or anything along those lines, but I also won't ever shame somebody who still has the desire or is newly into their journey of non-diet wellness that still thinks about it because to clear up a misconception that oftentimes people think about when they think of non-diet or anti-diet. It's it's not that we're shaming anyone who has the desire to lose weight or or practice intentional weight loss. It's just, it's not the driving force. It's not the main behavior. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious to know, what, how do your clients, like, what is their response to being in a space like that where, uh, to me, it just seems like it's incredibly inclusive. So, what what is it like for your clients to be in a space where you aren't focused on things like that? When it comes to the difference and, and what I see with my clients is I see folks who during our connection call, that's when we first initially talk to each other, is they talk about how much they believe they might enjoy exercise. They just have never given the safe space, as you talked about, in the, the welcoming, inclusive space to see if they would actually enjoy it. So what's so cool is that after a couple months, you start seeing them genuinely look forward to our sessions and and start noticing what their body is doing for them. A lot of my focus with my, my clients I work with is progressive strength programs. And included in that is getting under a barbell or getting to touch a barbell. And so for a lot of the folks I work with coming from the diet space and healing from that, they they never had the opportunity or the enlightenment to focus on becoming stronger or becoming more mobile or taking up more space, lifting more weight. And so it's cool to see them set goals with me on becoming more, more, more versus less, less, less. And that can change your entire mental attitude towards exercise and fitness. Yeah. Talk about a really beautiful paradigm shift in all of that too, where I love just, I got chills when you said it's, we get into the space of thinking more, 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 not less, less, less. And just that shift in, you know, when we're thinking about dieting and fitness, we always think less, 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 right? Like diet culture tells us, be engaged in fitness to lose weight, not be engaged in fitness because it feels good to you as a person. Like that that's the one of the most frustrating things for me, I think, and where I've done a lot of my own healing in the space of fitness is shifting my perspective. Like, no, I'm no I no longer lift weights to lose weight. It feels good for me when I move my body. I notice such a shift in my energy levels. And so that is my why behind movement. And so Oh, that is so incredibly powerful what you just said right there. I'm just going to be thinking that now more, 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 not less, less, less. Yes, yes. I love it. We'll get it on a sticker at some point. (laughs) I love that. Um, So we've kind of touched on this throughout this episode, but 
I want to see if we can hone in on this a little bit more. So how can we improve our overall relationship with food, our bodies, and our fitness? Yeah, absolutely. First thing to look at is that deconstruction, uh, understanding why, what has impacted my current relationship with food, body image, and fitness. And are those things the ultimate truth? So if my high school track coach told me to not eat carbohydrates, has that scientifically been proven? Is that the truth? Is he, she, they the ultimate resource of nutritional guidance? And more oftentimes than not, what we've been told is not the ultimate truth. So it's first understanding and separating ourselves from our past experiences and what we were told. And then moving forward, it is, it is grief. And this is something that isn't often talked about, especially in the beginning of one's non-diet journey, intuitive eating journey, is you need to allow yourself to grief. It's essentially a breakup you're going through when it comes to breaking up with diet culture is you might have had this ideal body image, this ideal workout routine, this what you thought was the ideal diet that you wanted to sustain for the rest of your life or that you pictured yourself at, you know, your most happiest moment, you would look this way, you would eat this way, you would exercise this way. And when you have attempted that for the past five, 10, 20 plus years, and it's not been working out, it has been really havocing on your mental health, emotional health, and physical health. It is absolutely necessary to grieve that, to be like, oh, this, this ideal that I thought was for me is is not for me. And yes, I am you can be mad that diet culture taught you that ideal in the first place. You can be upset that diet culture taught you that living in a large or fat body is wrong. Absolutely. You you need to experience those things. And then during that that grief period, I will have clients oftentimes listen to podcasts such as maintenance phase to help have this grounding science also bring things into perspective. Because as much as we can tell ourselves like, yes, my body is a good body, sometimes it's just nice to hear it from other perspectives, such as the the educators and hosts on maintenance phase. And then I'll also have them go through exposure therapy, like I talked about in the beginning, where you need to make sure that you are exposing yourself to fat educators who can teach you about body image healing and body image acceptance and, and food freedom, et cetera. And then along those lines of um, food and exercise in particular, it's about understanding your why and breaking free from the all or nothing mentality as well. So starting with the first one, understanding your why is what you spoke on when, um, Eric, you talked about lifting weights is it's about just it feels good. You feel good after you work out. Perhaps you might even feel good during your workout. And that feel good response usually has a domino effect on how you talk to yourself and treat yourself. So that why is much stronger and more healthy than the why of, oh, I'm deciding to do this this high intensity workout because I know it's going to torch the most calories, which is such a buzzword. <laughs> so understand why. And then also learning to not have to go into all or nothing thinking. So oftentimes diet culture teaches us that, hey, if you want to 
eat more nutrient dense food and you want to be part of the fitness community, you need to be working out five times a week and each workout should elicit a sweat response and it should be at least 30 minutes. And it's like, no, there's, there's no rules against that. Your body would appreciate a 10 minute walk as well. So learning to take care of yourself without the lens of, I either have to be eating salads all the time or donuts all the time. It's like, where can we have the choice for both? Yeah, it's just like that fluidity. And we need to be able to be fluid with our thinking and our perspectives. I think diet culture can create such black or white thinking. And like you just said, that all or nothing mentality, um, that can become so ingrained in our own personal ways of thinking. So the word awareness just keeps coming back to me as we dive into this conversation and as people are doing this work on themselves is it is so important to have the skill to be self-aware and to just notice and to be able to acknowledge current thought patterns or beliefs you may have because it's really what what we do once we have that awareness is it's what brings us closer to where we want to be yeah absolutely i i love that you mentioned the word awareness and i will tell my clients oftentimes you're only going to gain more body awareness through experimentation and and explore and exploring things out of curiosity versus feeling like you have to and that's a big difference too between a diet approach and a non-diet approach is nothing is elicited out of shame or guilt. It's all elicited out of curiosity and exploration of getting to know yourself better. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And something that I've been doing a lot of reflecting on is I've been in recovery for about three and a half years from um, living with an eating disorder. And Um, In some of the literature that I've been reading, uh, something that's kind of been a grounding phrase for me is that like the road to recovery and, you know, this healing journey that people can be on with food in their bodies is the journey back to their true self. And I think that is so true when we think about all of the different pieces that, you know, you've talked about in, in this conversation that we've been able to have with one another Um, and so I just really want to offer that up to listeners as well. You know, as you're doing this work, you are healing yourself and you are, you're, you're leaving an old version of yourself and you're, you might experience that grief very much. So like you said, as you kind of come back to your true self, because you're losing so much of the person that you identified with for however many years or however long of a period of time. Yes, yes, absolutely. The last diet I did before I went full on into figuring out who I was as an intuitive eater was tracking my macros through my fitness pal. And I was so ingrained into using my fitness pal. And I was really ingrained into the bodybuilding community and um, no shame against that. It was just not aligned with me and what was best for me. And it took time to to separate that from my identity and be like, okay, well, first off, like how you eat and how you move is not your identity. You know, I am Allison no matter what I do. And so it was definitely a grieving period and also a, a strong, a building stronger connection with myself period as well. And the two can absolutely simultaneously exist. Yeah, absolutely. And I, what I, I'm glad you touched on this as well, but for those who are listening and 
you know, like you had just mentioned counting macros, if that is something that helps keep you grounded in the space of nutrition and fitness, and you aren't having an unhealthy relationship with it, great. We are just talking about our own personal experience here in this conversation about how engaging in diets is not the healthiest approach for us with when we think about the relationship that we have with food in our body. So I just really want to make sure that if you are listening and you do use macros or anything along those lines, that that's okay. We're not saying that that is a bad thing at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is a very, um, individualized thing. And I will often say, you know, if you've ever looked at my social media page, I I talk about my experience with macro tracking and how essentially it, it is a diet. It is dieting. And like you said, if that's what aligns with you, that's what aligns with you, right? We got to all be, it goes back into that perfectionism and people pleasing, right? Where it's like, well, if what I'm talking about doesn't align with you right now, or you're not fully ready to hear it, or you want to continue where you're at, then then you absolutely do that, you know? And as much as I would love everyone to be an intuitive eater, people need to have their own experiences and things work differently for different people. So amen to everything you just said, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, the title of this podcast is Embracing You. So the question I have for you is how does the work you do help others embrace themselves a little more? Yeah, absolutely. It helps people understand what they they like and and who they are and what they prefer and what their options are. And when you get to reconnect with yourself like that, you usually are more kind to yourself, you're more compassionate with yourself. And so that's what I think of when I think of embracing yourself is you you you're befriending yourself through learning to have a more peaceful relationship with food and having more healthy why behind your wellness behaviors. Yeah, that why can be so powerful when you're able to get it from out of your mind and into words or into a sentence or anything like that. So I really love your approach to, you know, it's important to know your why. And and when you are on this journey and you can ground yourself in your why, it'll just make that journey a little bit more uh, intentional, right? Like a lot of this work that you're talking about while people are on this journey with food and their bodies and unlearning and learning is, you know, going back to why am I doing this? It's intentional work. Yes, it, it absolutely is. And that's why I often have clients think about what has their past experiences taught them so that they can stay intentional with this work versus feeling the lure to go back into diet culture that can bring so many false promises and often disheartening results. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, So before we wrap up our time here together, um, first of all, I really enjoyed this conversation that we've been able to have together today. But are there any other words of advice or encouragement you'd like to give listeners today? Yeah, yeah. Like what else? What else? There's there's so much. So for listeners listening, my my parting words really is to take the time to get to know yourself. Sometimes when we think about starting a new new journey, such as your intuitive eating journey or a non-diet journey, just remember there's time. 
And particularly when it comes to intuitive eating and that approach towards eating, there there is no doing it right or doing it wrong. It's really about self-exploration and learning what works best for you. And there is time. So don't feel like a failure because there there is no such thing with intuitive eating. If intuitive eaters do something that they felt like didn't align with them, they're more compassionate with themselves which helps them better able to move on and learn from the experience. So just a reminder, it's not all or nothing. Did I pass? Did I fail? There's time to learn and get to know yourself. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, So where can our listeners go if they are wanting to connect with and learn more about the work that you do? Yes, absolutely. So I have a website, Mosso, M-O-S-S-O, nutritionandfitness.com. On there, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter, and this is giving educational resources around food freedom, nutrition, body image healing, and exercise slash fitness. And then I also do a monthly Q&A where the newsletter community can submit their own questions, and once a month, I answer those questions in my newsletter. So it's an accessible way to receive some light coaching with me. I also have the social medias. So I'm on Instagram, Allison underscore Masso. I just recently joined TikTok, which is interesting. (laughs) All of a sudden I'm watching like this, like, you know, grandma doing a cool rap battle. And I'm like, what, what is this? Oh, this is TikTok. Excellent. Excellent. I I have arrived. Um, But recently I just got on TikTok because I actually, I do love video format when it comes to sharing content and education. So I hope to be uploading more there. And I'm also on Facebook, Maso Nutrition and Fitness, just like my website, except it's my own Facebook business page. So I give a lot of educational content on all three of those platforms. Wonderful. And I'll be sure to also link those in the show notes for listeners so they will be able to find you on all of those different platforms. Um, Well, thanks again so much, Allison, for all of your um, insight and knowledge that you were were able to share with us today during our time and conversation together. Um, I am so incredibly grateful for the opportunity we had to connect today. So I just want to thank you again so much for everything. And I hope we can connect and collaborate sometime soon again. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Eric. It has been a pleasure speaking with you and your audience. Once again, I would like to give a big thank you to Allison for her time and knowledge that she was able to share with us today on the Embracing You podcast. I forgot to mention at the beginning of this episode that this is Embracing You's 20th podcast episode, which is pretty exciting, and I didn't really know what to expect starting this project up of starting a podcast but it has truly become such a beautiful space for me to share all of this wonderful and beautiful information with you all and to also learn with you all as well. Um, It's been such an honor and privilege to be in this space of continuing to raise awareness around eating disorders and disordered eating and body image and mental health. And so thank you for spending time with me and our guests that we've been able to have on the podcast. So until next time, I hope that you continue to take care of yourself, 
that you live and respond from what your heart and body is communicating to you every day. And most importantly, know that you and your body are worth food and nourishment and love each and every day. Much love.